welcome to the latest episode of the Little MBA podcast, and I am your host, Julie Zua. We are on a mission to help prepare the Little MBA in their lives for success in future business careers, entrepreneurial ventures, and personal finance. Today, we have a special guest joining us, Jacob Turner. Jacob is a former professional baseball player who played for several teams, including the Detroit Tigers, Miami Marlins, and Chicago Cubs. But that's not all. After retiring from baseball, Jacob founded his own financial services firm. Today, we will be speaking with Jacob about his transition from the world of sports to the world of finance, the challenges he faced along the way, and the lessons he learned that helped him succeed. We'll also discuss some of the key principles that Jacob applies and how these principles can help you achieve your financial goals and set the little MBA in your life up for future financial success. Thanks for joining us. I'm excited that you're here on the podcast today to talk with families about personal finance, your career in baseball, and becoming an entrepreneur. Tell us a little bit about your background, if you would, Jacob. What inspired you to become a baseball player? I always wanted to be a professional baseball player from the time that I was a little boy. I grew up in a family of two brothers. Sports was everything in our household. We played baseball and hockey for the most part, but baseball was my love. It was something that I had dreamed about doing since I was a little kid. And I was fortunate to have a lot of God-given ability that ultimately led me to becoming a professional baseball player. That journey, while such a significant part of my life, has led to other significant things in my life that I would have never thought possible at the time. That's really impressive. What was that one skill or was it the dedication that really led you on that professional journey? I would say it's a combination of one, God-given ability, and two, discipline to continue to do the little things over and over again over a really long period of time. When I think about professional sports and becoming an elite athlete, what most people see is the performance that you have on the field on the given day that they come to the game. What they don't see is the day-to-day things that you're doing to give yourself just the opportunity to, one, be on the field, and two, have an opportunity to compete at that level when you are on the field. What is a day in the life of a professional baseball player? What are those things that you are seeing disciplined on? I'll speak for myself. As a starting pitcher in particular, we would start once every five days. So you start, you then have four days off before you were to start again. The routine that we would walk through was you have your start day. During that start day, you would try to do everything the same as you did. Maybe the last start, especially if it went well. For me, a lot of times it was just living my normal life up until, let's say, one in the afternoon. If the game was at seven at night, I would go to the field, hang out with the guys for a little bit. I would generally eat peanut butter and jelly. The story behind why I would eat peanut butter and jelly is because in my career, I moved around a lot. I was on a lot of different teams. I was in the big leagues. I was in AAA. I never knew where I was going to be. The one constant was they would always have peanut butter and jelly in the clubhouse. That's what I stuck with. Every game that I got ready for, especially the back half of my career, was the exact same. I would get 
in the weight room at the exact same time. I would do the exact same things in the weight room to get my body ready to go. I would then get stretched by the trainer. I'd get dressed. I'd go out in the field. I'd throw the exact same number of throws playing catch. I'd go to the bullpen mound and warm up, throw the exact same amount of throws warming up, and then I'd go out to the field. It becomes such a routine that you're so used to it. It's hard to grasp for people outside of sports how routine-driven it is. What I mean by that, Julie, is when I was warming up, I couldn't tell you how many throws I was throwing, but the pitching coach counted it. He would be able to tell me, oh, you threw 25 throws. Then the next game, I would throw 25 throws. And then the next game, I would throw 25 throws without even thinking about it. It had become such an integral part of what I did. I think that stems from doing those little things over and over again. When I think about pro sports and baseball in general, you're constantly doing the same things over and over again to achieve the same result or the same level of success. Was that whether you were in town or out of town traveling? And what about travel? For me, the days were relatively similar, whether I was in town or out of town. I would just live my quote unquote normal life until what's called one in the afternoon when it was time to go to the field. If I was out of town, maybe there was a better breakfast place to go to or a place that I could walk around before I went to the field. But for the most part, it was a normal day. Nobody would know that I was getting ready to play a professional game that night. From the travel aspect, I spent five years in the major league level about five years at the AAA level, the travel difference between those two is really striking. When you're in the big leagues, you're flying on a private charter plane everywhere you go. The minute the game's over, you're getting bused to the airport with usually a police escort. So you're getting there right away. You're flying out right away. In AAA, you're riding a bus. Sometimes those bus rides might be 10 hours long. The difference there between travel was really significant. The other thing I would say is when you are in the big leagues, the travel is much more catered around you. When you're in AAA, the travel is catered around the team. The example I would give you is if you're the starting pitcher the next day and you're in the big leagues, you might actually fly out to the city the night before to get a good night's rest, to be ready to go for the game. In AAA, you're leaving with the team whenever the team leaves. Interesting. When you think about developing that skill of being as disciplined as you were, how did you go about that? Did you have mentors and guidance? What are some of those things that really helped you stay disciplined, especially when you were younger? First of all, I would definitely say that discipline is a skill, much like you just mentioned. It's something that you have to develop. Just like any skill, not only do you have to develop it, but you have to stick with it in order for it to continue to show up in your life. For me, discipline just came over time. I wasn't a kid that as a 16-year-old in high school had a significant amount of discipline. If you compare to what I do today in terms of discipline, I probably had a lot of discipline for a typical 16-year-old in high school. It came over time through successes that I had. I had successes on the field, and I realized that in order for me to continue to have those successes, it would require me to be disciplined. That's what led me to want to be disciplined because I knew that if I put in the work over here, I was going to have the opportunity to succeed here. That idea of potentially having that big win over here allows a 16 or an 18-year-old kid to be willing to do stuff over here that maybe they wouldn't have done otherwise. If you out there says, I want to be a baseball player when I grow up, is this a quote-unquote real job? Is this something that I can aspire to do? How does the business model work? How do baseball players get paid? How does the team make money? Yeah, it's a hard route. I remember telling my carpool 
driver when we were in eighth grade. We had this group of five or six kids that all carpooled together. And she went around the car and asked everybody what they wanted to be when they grew up. I said, I wanted to be a professional baseball player. I'll never forget her response. She told me that, Jacob, you need to be more realistic. Now, was I being realistic or not? I don't know. The odds of you becoming a professional athlete in any sport as an eighth grader to go on and do that in the future are certainly really slim, but that was what I wanted to do. What's interesting about baseball is the way that the process and the system works is either out of high school as a 17, 18-year-old kid or out of college after potentially three years of a college, you have the opportunity to get drafted. What a lot of people don't realize about that is that's really just the first step in the process. We'll take a first-round draft pick, for example. A first-round draft pick just means each team has one pick in the first round, and you were that team's picks. Generally, you're in the top 30 picks of that year's draft. You're one of the top 30 players in the entire country that had the opportunity to get drafted that year. Out of those players, about 66% of those players will ever play one day in the major leagues. So that means 33% of them will never play a day in the major leagues. Now, they were the top 30 players in the entire country come draft day that year, and they won't, one third of them will never play one day in the major leagues. On top of that, once you get to the big leagues, that's really the first step in that journey. To really start making significant money in baseball, you need to get to what's called arbitration. Arbitration it means you have three years of major league service. That means that you've played for three consistent years in the major leagues. About 66% of guys that play one day, less than half those guys will ever make it to arbitration. The next step after that is getting to free agency. Free agency is six years of Major League Baseball service time. Out of those half guys that got to arbitration, you're looking at maybe 20% of those guys will ever get to free agency, which is six years. The process to make significant money in baseball is certainly really challenging. Now, I do want to frame the perspective that the Major League minimum is over $700,000. So everybody that's playing Major League Baseball is making a significant income. But a lot of times when we think of professional athletes, we're thinking of people that are making $10, $20 million a year. The fact of the matter is it is really hard from a business model standpoint to ever become one of those players. Interesting. Those are certainly, I imagine that's the team that when we think of those salaries that are being doled out. And what about sponsorships or other elements of compensation as it relates to being a major sports player? It really depends. One, your marketability as an individual. Are you somebody that wants to put yourself out there on social media? And then two, it depends a lot on the type of sport you play. I'll use baseball as an example and I'll compare it to basketball. Baseball is quote unquote America's pastime. But baseball is not near the global game and doesn't nearly have the global reach that a sport like basketball has. If you look at the top basketball player in the world in terms of marketability, you would think of somebody like a Steph Curry or somebody like LeBron James, who has tens of millions, hundreds of millions of followers across social platforms, which has led them to getting tons of endorsement opportunities in the neighborhood of eight plus figures every single year versus a baseball player. The top baseball players are people like Mike Trout and Bryce Harper that have marketability, but in terms of their reach, it might be one fiftieth of LeBron James and Steph Curry. Have. So the first step is understanding that the sport dictates a lot of the types of contracts that a player could potentially get outside of the field. The other aspect is the player marketable. Does the player want to put himself out there? There's a lot of people that want to be a professional athlete, but don't want to be in the limelight outside of 
what they're doing on the field. All of that plays a factor into when companies look at, do I want to put sponsorship money behind this individual? Right. And I'm not even sure, should I ask them, but you've lived in Detroit and Chicago and Miami and really all over the country. Who are you rooting for these days? As a professional baseball player, you lose the fandom is what I call it very quickly. I grew up in St. Louis. I grew up a huge Cardinals fan. A year after I got drafted, I no longer rooted for anybody except for the team I was on. Today in baseball, I root for my son. He's five years old. He plays on a little league team called the Sun Blazers. So I root for the Sun Blazers. In terms of professional baseball, I root for the clients that we have that are playing that day. But outside of that, I don't generally have a team that I root for. It is very hard as a professional baseball player for me not to see the business side of the game. If I go to a game and I see a pitcher struggling, all I'm thinking about is the conversation that he might have to have with the manager after the game that he might be getting sent down or how he's going to feel in his hotel room after the game, thinking about the five runs he just gave up. You lose the fan aspect of it, for me at least. That makes sense. You mentioned your clients. Tell us about your transition away from baseball and into financial services and starting your own firm. I think the transition for me really starts at the day that I signed a professional contract as an 18-year-old kid at the time, a high school graduate who had just recently graduated, I was blessed to come into a significant amount of money based on the first contract that I signed in baseball. With that contract, it led to more questions than answers in terms of managing that money and managing that wealth. I realized that I wanted to be better educated myself on what I should be thinking about, what questions I should be asking. As my career progressed, I started to become the guy that would ask questions of other guys in the locker room about how they might be investing their own money or how they think about this concept or who they're using as their financial advisor. And time and time again, I would get the same answer. The answer would always be, I have a guy. And then you would ask a question one layer deeper and they would just say, I don't really know what's going on. When I got done playing, I knew maybe three to four years before my career was over that this is something that I really love that being personal finance. I wasn't sure how I wanted to integrate that love for personal finance. When I got done, I really spoke with a lot of different people that were in different elements of financial services, from education to actually directly helping families. I felt like the best opportunity for me was in the wealth management industry, where I'm able to have a combination of the sports background with my personal experiences, with my enjoyment of people and relationships. And that's really led me to where I'm at today. Great. In the early days, what were some of those questions that you were asking? And what are some of those resources that you discovered? For me, the biggest question that I always asked, I was in a really unique situation. If you think about how most people make money from the time they graduate college at, let's say, 22 to the time they retire at, let's say, 60, they're consistently climbing the ladder. They're making more and more money every single year. For an athlete, you're making your peak earning years might be the first five to 10 years of your earning potential, your earning lifetime. So from 18 to 28 years old, I might be having my peak earning years. And then I really don't know what the future holds after that. If I was making millions of dollars over here, I can all but guarantee, unless I'm LeBron James or Steph Curry, the day that I get done playing my sport, I'm not going to be making millions of dollars anymore. I might have an opportunity to do that in the future, but it's going to be further down the road. So for me, a lot of the questions that I was asking was, how do I balance what I'm making now versus what I could potentially spend today 
versus what I should be putting away for the future. Excellent. What skills did you learn as a baseball player that really helped with your everyday financial services career? I think discipline, ultimately personal finance in general, is making a lot of small decisions over and over again the correct way, but it requires discipline to do that. And it requires discipline to not fall off track, so to speak. It also has helped me a lot in my business. A lot of what you do as an entrepreneur is not the fun stuff that's glamorized, but it's the mundane things inside and working on the business that are critical to your success. Great. When we think about financial literacy and teaching people at a younger age about financial literacy and money management, especially for our audience, including parents and families that are listening to this podcast today. What advice do you have for people who want to learn more, especially at a younger age, or teach their kids about personal finance? I'll speak from my own example. My mom was a CPA, so I grew up around numbers. One of the things that my parents did was we used to keep a cash drawer in our house. I never really understood why my parents did this. My dad owned a small business, was relatively successful, but they kept this cash drawer. And whenever the money ran out in the cash drawer, we wouldn't go out to maybe dinner on Saturday night. It was for ancillary expenses outside of quote unquote, the normal things that you might spend, things like going out to dinner and treating yourself. But it helped instill in me the idea that there's not an infinite amount of money. You have to be cognizant of what you're spending that money on. The biggest lesson it taught me was money is ultimately a tool and each of us get to decide individually how we want to use that tool. I don't so much mean that somebody might have a million dollars over here and somebody might have a thousand dollars over here. Each of those individuals still has the opportunity to say, with the amount of money that I have, the amount of tools I have in my toolbox, how do I want to spend? For me, one of the biggest lessons I was able to learn was you can have a lot of the things that you want if you're willing to sacrifice for things that you don't really care about. That was a lesson that I learned through watching and something that I try to instill in my own kids just through my own actions. Because as a kid, as a young adult, oftentimes the best advice that I got was things that I saw happening, not things that people were telling me to do. Kids are out there watching their parents, seeing what they do and saying either there is an infinite amount of money or there's very little, but what's that in between of how we make sure that we manage every dollar properly to its fullest and best extent that's going to bring the most joy. That's helpful. Yeah, certainly. The framing that I would use around money is inherently personal. The way that you spend money, Julie, is going to be different than the way that I spend money. A lot of how that has happened over time has been experiences that you've had in your life that I have not had. And the way that I might spend money are going to be because of experiences that I've had that maybe you haven't had. But it's important for everybody to remember as they think about money, one, it's a tool, and two, it's inherently personal. There are certainly strategies that I would recommend maybe across the board, but that doesn't mean that every single person's financial life should look the same. I would actually argue that they should all look different because everybody has a different thing that they're shooting for. As we think about the little MBA, what are your thoughts around giving kids an allowance? I give my kids an allowance. And what I tell them, there's three things that you can do with money. If my kids were here, they would then say what those three things are. You can 
give it away, you can spend it, or you can save it. Ultimately, we complicate money, in my opinion, too much. Those are the only three things that you can really do with it. So you can spend it, give it away, or save it. I try to help my kids take their allowance, whether it's $1 or $10 over the course of time, and figure out how much do they want to put into each one of those buckets? And why are we putting money into those buckets? So starting with the basics and just understanding that money doesn't have to be as complicated and as mythical as sometimes we think it is. One of the controversies that sometimes comes up with giving and allowances, do you have your kids do something in exchange to earn the money? Or do they get an allowance simply for the fact that it helps them understand how to better allocate those resources? I don't know about everybody else, but my kids do something for the money. And if they don't do it, they don't get the money. That goes back to the discipline. Discipline is different than motivation. Motivation is something that is inherently fleeting. I could wake up one day and feel really motivated to work out, but I can all but guarantee in three days, I'm going to have a day where I don't feel like getting out of bed and walking or working out. Discipline is what carries you through those times when you don't want to do the thing that you know you do. So for me, it's a win-win for my kids. It helps them create discipline in their life. And then when they create discipline, they're getting a reward for it. When they're getting the reward for it, then I'm able to teach them a simple bucket approach to saving, spending, or giving away their money. Discipline has certainly been a constant through both your baseball career and your professional services career. What does your day in the life look like today? And is it as consistent as it once was in your baseball career? I think as an entrepreneur, one of the things that I've worked really hard to do is try to create routine in my daily life. As a baseball player, you're very structured. Although a lot of it is independent structure, there's still structure that the team is giving you. As an entrepreneur, oftentimes you're tasked with creating that structure. It's your Monday, it's your Tuesday. How are you going to go about using the time and energy and resources you have to the best of your ability? But I will say that I am far better with structure in my life than I am without it. I try to create small wins in my day early in the day. That way I know no matter what happens the rest of the day, I can say that I've had some small wins along the way. I know that my days will not always be the same. There's going to be things that come up. There's going to be fires to put out. But if I can create some small wins early in my day and try to have structure as much as I can, I'm going to be in a better headspace each and every day. And what are some examples that we can apply to our everyday lives that are those small wins? How do we wake up and say, okay, is this the, hey, let me make my bed or let me go for a walk? Or is it, let me solve this problem first thing, eat the frog, as Seth Godin might say? Yeah, I think it's unique to everybody. I'll speak to what I do. The two biggest things that I try to do every day is I want to make sure that I'm working out and moving my body every single day. The first thing I do when I wake up is I go for a 45-minute walk outside. I do that whether I feel like doing that or whether I don't feel like doing that every day. The other thing that I want to do is I want to create content to educate people around personal finance. So I try to do something every single day that is content-driven that I can post on social media or post on our website to help educate people around. The reason why I do that is that will ultimately be one of the biggest drivers of growth in our business. I know that if I continue to work out, I'm going to stay mentally sharp. And I know if I'm able to continue to create content, those are going to be two things that are fully in my control every single day. No matter what else happens the rest of the day, 
if I wake up and I can have those early wins throughout my day, no matter how zig or zag that day is, I can know at the end of the day that I've created those wins. Excellent. What is the one piece of advice that you would give to someone who is interested in starting their own business, but doesn't know where to begin? This is a tough question because I think it depends on the stage of life you're at. But one of the best pieces of advice that I would give to a young entrepreneur is that I would take risk before responsibility. What I mean by that is when you graduate college, the level of responsibility that you have then will probably be the lowest that it will ever be. Chances are you don't have a family you're supporting. You don't have kids. You can take the risk, but taking the risk before you have the responsibility is going to give you a lot more wiggle room if things don't go as fast as you're hoping for them to go. So that's what I would give to that individual. Somebody that was doing it later in their life, much like I did, is I would prioritize skills over income for a certain period of time. The example that I would give is even in my own life, when I got done playing baseball and I knew I wanted to be in the wealth management industry, I didn't prioritize going out and finding a position that was going to pay me the most amount of money. I prioritized finding a position that I was going to be able to learn the skills from somebody that I had a lot of respect for and learn underneath them, knowing that was going to pay way more dividends than any dollar amount that somebody could pay me for those first two years. Excellent. And along that same vein, what is the best piece of advice that you received? I'm sure you've had a lot of mentors, both in baseball and in wealth management. What did they advise you? It has been meaningful and worthwhile. One of the biggest things for me that I feel so strongly about would be confidence. I describe confidence as a choice that we either wake up every day and we choose confidence or we don't choose it. One constant theme throughout my life is a lot of the successful things that I've been able to accomplish in my life have stemmed from me having confidence in them. That doesn't mean that on day one, I was the most confident person in the world doing that thing. It does mean that I was able to put in the repetitions to feel confident whenever I was competing on the mound, starting a new business venture, meeting with an individual, meeting with a client, delivering good news to a client, truly becoming better at each one of those situations instilled that confidence in me. And I would just encourage everybody to think about that in their own life. Confidence is a choice. There's going to be days where you don't feel as confident as other days. There's going to be situations. It might be a speaking engagement that you don't have as many reps in, but you can still choose to have confidence. Absolutely. This has been extremely helpful. And so what question do you wish that I had asked you that I didn't ask today? What book are you reading? I love books. I think books are the ultimate unlock for anybody in life, but especially entrepreneurs. It's a way for 15 or $20 to read somebody's life story that is 10, 20, 30 years down the road from you. The book that I'm currently reading that I'm loving is called Unreasonable Hospitality. It's a book about 11 Madison Park, which became the number one restaurant in the world. It is a great book for anybody that's in a service-based, relationship-based industry. I would encourage anybody that's listening to this, go check it out. If you like reading, check it out. If you don't like reading, listen to the audiobook. Excellent. And when you complete that book, are you going to dine at 11 Madison Park? And have you eaten there before? I've been there a few times. 
I've never been there before, but I will say after reading this book, I would like to go to experience it because I have a sense of what the experience is, but it would be cool to see it in person. It is an exceptional experience. And Danny Meyer has created some unbelievable restaurants in New York and certainly around the world. Yeah, certainly. And Jacob, so where can our audience find you online? The best place to find me online is Twitter. You can also find me on LinkedIn and Instagram, or you can find our company website. Excellent. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks, Julia. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you having me on. Danny Meyer is from St. Louis. I didn't know that until I started reading this book, and then I started researching Danny Meyer. I didn't realize how successful he is, but yeah, he's... Shake Shack has become obviously huge, so... Yes, I'm a huge fan of Shake Shack. Also, oh, what is the barbecue place? They used to know us there in New York. Because I lived in New York after college. I worked for Ralph Lauren. I'm not a huge fine dining person. I would just want to go more for the experience. It's a great experience. And when I went, it was restaurant. Okay. So, but they do know the things in between each course really is very special. And the food is really special. We like Gramercy Tavern, Union Square Cafe. Oh, what are his other restaurants? I like the Indian place. Top, is it Tablo? I don't remember. Yeah, the name sounds familiar. Barbecue one is really good. Their brisket is awesome. If I'm in New York, I'll have to check it out. Yeah, and if you, it's very hard to get reservations, but what we found is the easiest way to do it is if you don't do it far enough in advance is the American Express concierge oh really i've always yeah. wondered i have the american express card and i've always wondered what the concierge is even for but... so i used to call the concierge all the time to do things for me can you research i had my bag still in at the airport once i had them research where i could replace that bag because ferragamo didn't have it in their stores anymore and oh. i had them research hairstyles for weddings I've had them do so many random projects. This was years ago, but now we just have them make reservations for us. Interesting. Maybe I'll have to check that out. Yeah. Sounds good. All right. We'll talk soon. Talk to you soon, Jacob. Appreciate it. Bye-bye.